self-actualization again. It's something we've talked quite a bit about um, because really that's sort of the destruction of meaning rather than the creation of meaning. If I'm trying to find meaning out inside of myself, I'm, I'm a sinner broken. And so when I look inside myself, I'm not going to find answers. It's not a platonic answer kind of world. And so I really need to look outside of myself. But one of the things about your art, it's representational, um, which I think is really good. And so you have to struggle with the, the age old question is, is I have an iPhone. My wife takes a hundred pictures a day. I don't know if she thinks heaven is spending time looking at all the pictures we've made, but, right. but representation is really relatively straightforward. And yet you're trying to capture some meaning in the representation you have that's not necessarily um, detailed authenticity, but more of a capture of some meaningful event. How do you balance sort of the, the representation of reality? And then, and then I'll add the question, where do you put people in your art? Right. Um, okay. So first... On you know, I'm talking to you guys with my iPhone. I have probably 56,000 pictures on my iPhone. I buy extra storage <laughs> to collect it. I take pictures of everything. Um, and then what happens is things get stuck in my head, these images that I, for some reason or another, feel they need more attention, right, than a quick click on my phone. So when I decide to paint something, it's an image, a scene, and an idea that I feel if I put the time and effort into it, that that attention I'm giving it will be uh, evident to whoever the viewer is and draw them in. Because wh why would someone do an eight foot by seven foot tall painting uh, of a steel mill, uh, you know, and, and how long did this take and why? And then, you know, I, I think you can, you respond to that immediately. That attention is locked into the, the artwork, right? Um, so that would be the, the, you know, kind of how I pick some of the things or why, you know, it's the attention. Putting people in the artwork, it all depends. I love... Uh, showing the scale and just sure. the especially of historic photographs of foundries and steel mills and trains and you know guys working in uh power stations around turbines and, and you see the scale of this stuff and see that this was like this is where they went every day for work right um yeah. they're not sitting at a desk every day they're walking in to uh you know, control essentially a volcano. Um, and if they mess up, it's not going to just be bad for them. It could, you know, <laughs> kill someone that they're close to or injure them. So everyone had a real purpose uh, in what they were doing. And not just at work, but when they left work, you know, they're surrounded by entire towns that were built to support the work that they're doing. Um, and more likely than not, all the infrastructure in that town was built from the things that they created while at work. Um, you know, I can remember uh, standing with a 
a friend of mine's father at the Pittsburgh International Airport that he worked on as a carpenter. And it was like he owned the place because he built that and he built that. And it, and it just struck me as, well, imagine these guys that built and created all the beams that went into, you know, the bridges, skyscrapers, uh, the dams, um, this infrastructure that, that, that really created the prosperity uh, that, again, everyone just takes for granted. You know, the, this is not the normal condition for, uh, for human beings at all throughout history, right? The leisure time, the comfort, air conditioning, heating, available, availability of food, all these things, clean water, the large parts of the world don't have access to any of those things still. Right. Um, and it's an absolute miracle that we've had these things for this long in a pretty stable, reliable way. That's fascinating. You got a you got a real sense of the meaning of your work and how it's meaningful, but you're also trying to translate the meaningfulness of what other people, everybody does with their life. And certainly that's what God made us to do. You know, I kid people that if our view of God was correct, then he's messed up in the Garden of Eden because he shouldn't have had a garden. He should have had a cathedral and he should have kicked them out for singing off key, but he put them into a garden. And I know I get great joy out of working on steel technology and trying to figure all that stuff out. And it's what I was made to do. And God said, we're supposed to rule over and subdue the earth. And that's even before sin came into the world. So, so we're supposed to be active about doing things. And one of the challenges I think we face in terms of living out our Christianity is to think that it's really just about going to church. And it's not about the joy we find in doing everything that we do for the glory of God and for the honor of Christ and for the love of our neighbor. And that's really what we're trying to grapple with. I think trying to be disciples is how do I, how do I engage everybody that I live with and work with in a way that shows the love of Christ to them? And yet, how do I do the very best I can do at what God has called me to do so that I can communicate the value and meaning of life to other people. So really fascinating the kind of stuff you do. I, I, I look through your work and it's just wonderful. I, I really need to get you to have a show here in Milwaukee. Have you, I, I mentioned, I know the Groman Museum to you. I, I would love to be connected with, with them. Yeah, I, I know the guy up there just because Michael Schultz, who's taken photographs of foundries and forge shops all over the world. Um, I think I sent you a, a connection to his website, but if not, I'll do that. He's really good. He always puts a person in his picture to give scale yeah. because he's doing photographs. It's a real big deal to him to really make sure there's always a person in the picture so that you have what you were talking about, some sense of the scale right. of how big all that stuff really is and how powerful it is. And so let me... um. I will reach out to the guy who runs a museum up there because I've, I've done a couple of things with him in the past and, and your stuff would fit in perfectly with what they do. That'd be incredible. Um, and that's, you know, it's, uh, it's hard. I'd say what's difficult right now is that there, I don't know if it's a lack of interest in, you know, like cultural, 
uh, expression. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of outlets in popular culture or mainstream culture for uh, Christianity or like, and it doesn't have to be like overtly Christian. It's just, how do you get these uh, ideas in front of people in a positive way, in an incredible way that has impact it doesn't immediately have them, you know, everyone's conditioned now that it's, if, if you say this, you're this side, if you say this, you're that side, I'll dismiss any of your ideas and thoughts because you're with this group. Um, I can't listen to you because you're with that group. It's like, if, if we could get, you know, like you, you can't argue with beautiful music. You can't argue with impactful visual arts. And you can't argue, uh, I don't know, with... Uh... It seems that the, the challenge that you're describing uh, is caught up largely in a world today where meaning no longer has purpose. Yes. Let me, let me try to touch on something that I'm noticing about what you're describing, what Raymond's probing on right now with respect to discipleship. I see, Corey, in what you're doing, the story of Genesis. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I see things that have purpose and they have meaning and they are losing their purpose and their meaning as they begin to corrupt and fall apart and become no longer useful for what they did at first. In a in a way, this is the Adam and Eve story. I have corrupted myself and I'm no longer personal. And then I have Corey Bonnet coming in and taking things which had meaning and they had purpose and they had use and they have become corrupted and collapsed. And there is a retrieval of meaning and purpose and a reinterpretation of meaning and purpose in a way that makes these things meaningful and purposive. I'm sensing this as an artist. Yes. And that, uh, that's the basis of all of it, right? These are things that were, you know, extremely useful that have lost their purpose and the idea of losing it through corruption. You know, you look at, um, you look at the decline of industry in the United States and, you know, you, there's plenty of blame to, to hand out all, all around. There's, you know, the Genesis stories to me, all, you know, this, the patterns that run through the Bible are about things are uh, pretty bad, but then we make them better. Then we get corrupt and things get bad again. So here we've got this culture that today is looking at what you're doing. And, I, and you, you talked about the struggle of getting people to want to lean in and grapple with this. And the challenge that I think the Christian art community, I'm going to use this phrase, which a lot of people are going to roll their eyes on, is this. Your job, Corey, is to entertain me. I don't need purpose and meaning. I need to be shocked, stunned, overwhelmed, novelty, 
enriched. And then you need to get out of my way because I'm looking for the next big hit. And this idea of purpose and meaning is a little bit strange. It's funny that what I've been creating is this, you know, the initial should be a shock and awe kind of situation. And we're figuring out ways to exhibit all of these things with giant sculptural artwork and paintings, you know, with representational imagery. Um, its whole purpose is to overwhelm and to say, look at this. This is what your ancestors did, especially if you're in Pittsburgh. Uh, this is what built everything around you. There are things to be learned from this. Don't throw it all away. Is your job to deliver beauty, intrigue, purpose? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, you know, what is a disciple supposed to do in your industry? What's your job, dude? What, what is it you are supposed to be doing for Jesus and the people who are looking at you and saying, I might want to follow you, or I'm just observing you as another person in the universe? Is, you know, is your, is your job to deliver the Michelangelo-esque moment for everyone or, 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 or what, what, what do you, what do you do with that? I thought you did really well. We'll just have to cut out all the crap on both ends. But when you ask him, what do you do? Oh, <laughs> Are you really an idiot? I, got, I, got you stuff. I thought it was a great question. I'm a victim here, Corey. I'm a victim, man. This is just like, geez. Okay. Well, so Corey, my question to you is this, like, what's your job, dude? Like I, I always thought of museums and artists deliver beauty and then we're supposed to all swoon and go, surely there's a God. What is it you're up to? What, why are you doing what you do? Well, I'm trying to find and live my life with meaning. That's, that's, you know, the, the core of this, the artwork is the byproduct of that work and that search. And the closer I've gotten and the more I've given myself over to, you know, Christ and being all in. I think it's, I have, I'm not there yet. I'm not, I'm not all in. I can't, you know, I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I, I can't listen or do, I wish I could do everything in my head that I know is right. But I tend to ignore that a lot of times because it could be hard, right? Um, you know, I just think it's, you know, it's strange to me that I can think of the right thing and still ignore it and do the other thing. There's something mm -hmm. that happens while I'm working. I'm not necessarily paying attention to what's in front of me. It's this great, you know, zone you get in where it's, you're in the present and things are just flowing through. Um, it's a, a wonderful experience. I wish more people could have it. And that after that, it's in the artwork, whether that's, you know, someone who looks at it responds with awe or uh, is, is overwhelmed by the piece. It's manifest all around me. Most artists that I talk to say, I am attempting to draw out my feelings and my passion and my interpretation of what I want things to be. Therefore, I am manifesting this. Is that the contamination you're describing? I think that would be, yeah. 
but the best artwork I have, it's not, I'm not, you know, I have a plan, right? A, a sketch or an idea. Picasso. If I look at Picasso's first art, when it was incredibly faithful to the images and the geography, and then I look at Picasso's art and geometry, and then I look at Picasso's art in the latter part of his life, I see chaos. Is that art, Corey? Is that, is that in your mind, art? And your whole reputation could collapse if you answer this poorly. So, Great. Um, well, you know, you pick Picasso. That's an interesting subject. So, right, he had been, at, you know, drafting and representational and ha had built the skills and then abandoned those and kind of created things on his own. So, so Corey, let me help you out here. Sure. The dentist, the I know it's a trap. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a very clever trap. He, he says, is that, <laughs> is that art implying is that good? And he's, he's using an expansive definition of good oh. so that it could be art. It could be communicating something that you think is a bad thing to communicate, but it's well done. <laughs> so, so in one sense, it's really great art, but it's saying something bad. It's sort of like well-written pornography, right? <laughs> you, you can write pornography really well, and you can say, is that a good story? I hate it when story? he does that. I hate it when he does well, that. <laughs> they wrote it well. I, I don't think it's a good story. So my... Look, my perspective on this is that um you know that the divine spark that's in everyone their personality what they're supposed to be uh true to and is their light to shine out into the world when it comes to artists like they really are showing their unique perspective on how they see the world and it gives everyone maybe you know, maybe Picasso and the way he draws a bull makes someone look at it and think, you know, well, I know that's not what a bull really looks like, but boy, that makes me interested in bulls now because, you know, <laughs> I've looked at it this different way. Now I'm looking at a regular, you know, a bull in front of me or uh, a portrait or it's, it's this idea of paying attention to things again, you know, of really looking at things so that when you see this fractal distorted vision of reality, it can give you an appreciation of, uh, you know, what's really in front of you or allow you to see things again uh, more clearly after you viewed it. How do you look at trying to mentor those young people um, that are you're teaching to draw or make those incremental improvements? Art students that come to me and ask what to do, my response is major in business. Figure out how to be a business person. You can take elective art courses and you can, you know, all that you're going to learn in art is going to take 10 years after you graduate to really develop and get great at. So that's my, and I have, I just have my first interns this summer and they heard that from me all the time was don't major in art get into something else. Um, and then for the second in the mentorship is, again, it's just, um, I try as much as possible 
to lead by example and go through these things with them. So if I'm telling them to, you know, uh, like, let's sketch, let's make a, let's, let's agree that we're all going to sketch 15 minutes a day for the next three days. And then we'll see what that looks like. And why don't we make it sketch 15 minutes a day for the next two weeks? Everybody really do it. 15 minutes isn't that much time. You're spending three hours on your phone every day anyways. Take 15 minutes out of that. Well, I think that's brilliant. Everybody thinks that if you're not talented, if you're talented, then it takes almost no practice at all. You can just do it because somehow you were born with that talent. Yeah. And so if I try and I can't do it well, then I'm clearly just not talented. So I should give up. So I well, think that's a really, well, you know, every, what, like, you know, what a base professional baseball players, what do they do all week before a game as they practice? What do, you know, musicians do all the time before the one show they rehearse. And it's like, it's just this constant, uh, you just, it's, it's all the time you're putting into it. Uh, becomes apparent in the finished product. Yeah. Corey, let me ask this question. You've got young people in your church who walk up to you and say, I want to do what you do. And I want to know as a disciple, what I need to know as a disciple going into this world, what, would be your biggest lessons learned or advice to give to young people who want to get where you are and do what you do. I, I get the vocational part. Now yeah. I want to ask the spiritual question. Um, get up early every day. That keeps you out of all sorts of trouble and temptation. If you know you, if you've agreed with yourself to get up really early every day that, you know, keeps you on course. Uh, there are, you know, I did shows for years in what would be considered like the art scene. Uh, and it was Friday nights and big parties and, uh, but not a lot of sales, you know, not a lot of business. It was just this pointless exercise, um, to a degree, you know, maybe people enjoyed themselves and had fun. That's great. There's a time and place for that, but I needed to make a living. And as soon as I shifted my thoughts of, uh, you know, understood what was truly important, which wasn't, uh, wasn't this outside uh, validation of my work. It was my focus and attention to being the best that I could be, being better than I was the day before, the month before, the year before. That's when I really started to see uh, improvement, not just in my work, but in sales. And, and again, the, the waking up early thing is how I managed to ensure that I'm working every single day on what I love to do. Corey, you've been great. You've been great to talk with. You're a really impressive artist, impressive person. Oh, really you. enjoyed our conversations.
Well, I wanted this, to, you know, just an offer to anyone out there that would like to. This building is absolutely incredible. Uh, I mean, the best views in the city, the most incredible event spaces, and it's really been put into my disposal. You know, they've made me di director of uh, what they're calling the arts corridor here. Thanks, Corey. You've been a delight to talk to and a, and a, a new good friend. Thanks. So, folks, you can check out more of what we've been talking about today, discipleship and the arts, specifically Corey's work in discipleship in patterns of meaning. You can find that on Facebook, Instagram, and also his website, Corey Bonnet, B-O-N-N-E-T, just one T, CoreyBonnet.com. So he's in the social media space. Look up patterns of meaning as a phrase. You'll see that as well. And we're grateful that you're with us today. Please follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and of course, the website, DiscipleDilemma.com. And if you'll follow us, and if you'll like us, you'll help us get some space in the digital media morass as well to get the word out about discipleship that has been hacked and how we want to try to retake that ground for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening.